This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. On Tuesday, March 2nd, the city of Chattanooga will hold elections for both city council and mayor. I recently had the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Tim Kelly, local businessman and candidate for city mayor. I joined him at the Chattanooga Workshop, in the studio where he records his podcast, Common Purpose. I hope you find our conversation informative as you head to the polls in March. So I'm here with Tim Kelly, mayoral candidate for the city of Chattanooga, and I just want to jump right in. Tim, uh, just introduce yourself, take a couple seconds. What's your history in Chattanooga, and what made you get involved in local politics? I'm Tim Kelly. I grew up here in Chattanooga, um, except for four years up in New York in college. I've been here my uh, entire life, all 53 years of it, and uh you know, I, I, I decided to get involved. I was never the guy that kind of ran for student council or was in any form of government, but um, it's a longer answer. But the short version is I really love Chattanooga, and uh, I want to see it move forward. I'm right. afraid that it might not. Right. I mean, that's the short answer. <laughs> so what's kind of your overall vision for your campaign and, and for where you want to lead the city? Well, I, I don't have any. Yeah. Okay. So the elevator pitch is this. I mean, like, I don't have any future political ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go to Nashville. I don't want to go to DC. Right. Uh, I think I have a really good resume for the job. I've run. Mm-hmm. I've run businesses here for the last uh, thirty years, but I've also been very involved in the nonprofit community right. here for the last thirty years. So I've seen Chattanooga from a lot of different angles: private, public, philanthropic. And, uh, and I know where the levers and buttons are, right? So I, I think I have a good resume for the job. I think I'm the best person for the job. And it, and it is a job, right? That's an mm-hmm. executive political position, uh, particularly like a mayor is kind of the CEO of a company of, you know, 2,200 people. Right. Depending on whether you include fire and police. And uh, so, you know, I just, I've dedicated my life here. I'm not going anywhere. And I want to see it succeed and thrive. I, I, mm-hmm. I heard a, actually a podcast with Andrew Yang where he said, as an entrepreneur, and I guess that's what I am really at heart, you know, the thing that entrepreneurs hate is wasted potential. Mm-hmm. And that has totally lit me up because like that is what I hate. Um, I hate when things aren't running right or as well right. as they could. Um, and my brain's always working on how would we optimize, you know, and, uh, and I, th- that's how I see Chattanooga, right? I see Chattanooga as an amazing wellspring of potential that's just not, you know, not hit on all cylinders currently. So that's actually a great lead into our next question. Uh, what do you think Chattanooga's top strength or asset is, and how do we capitalize on it? And what are you going to do as mayor to capitalize on those assets? I think our our, our main strength, our main strength, I mean, business guys, you talk about, um, you know, in, in corporate strategy, they talk a lot about sustainable advantage, sustainable competitive advantage. What do you have that nobody else has and nobody else is likely to be able to get? And if, from a city perspective, that has to be our natural assets, right? Mm-hmm. So our our, uh, our rivers, our mountains, our trails, our streams. Um, I think Bob Corker had a great idea years ago with Outdoor Chattanooga, with institutionalizing, you know, creating a hub for those assets to market those assets, you know, not just for the really kind of superficial touristy ways, but to attract the right sort of people to Chattanooga, to attract the right sort of companies to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And that has kind of just 
you know, and, and, and to improve the health and wellness of Chattanoogans, there's a thousand right. benefits, right? Um, but it has definitely lacked focus and intention. I mean, outdoor Chattanooga is still there, uh, but I would elevate that um, to a cabinet level position and put a lot more focus and intention in outdoor Chattanooga. So I, again, I think, I think Chattanooga's uh, um, outdoor assets are really its, its greatest strength. You know, second would be um, the arts community here is, okay. is really great and vibrant and very authentic. It doesn't get a lot of uh, focus and intention, but it, it is a significant differentiator. Again, because we're so close to Nashville, a lot of times it gets overshadowed, but it's, mm -hmm. it's real. The other really non-obvious thing I'd say is that, um, I say this all the time, but Chattanooga is full of people, talented people, right, who could be in a larger market making more money or on some higher rung of a, of a career ladder, right? right? But they're not, they're here. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm fascinated with the concept of self-selection. So the question is, why are they here? Right, I mean, that's something that affects me personally. I, I came down from Nashville yeah. where I could have been making not a lot more money, but more money and decided to come here Family is one part of it, but also, like you said, outdoor resources has been a case huge in point, part of right? And so, why I'm here. So, so the answer again, a lot of times, kind of points back to you can just sort of say inductively that you are somebody, and that there are a lot of us. You know, mm -hmm. I think I'm I fall in that category. There are a lot of people here that fall in that category. We value something more than ourselves, right? right? Than than like how much money can I make? You obviously put it all into some big calculator in your brain, and your family's part of that, and the quality mm -hmm. of life's part of that. But so it's it's not anti-materialistic, but something else matters more. And so, kind of right beneath the surface, we all share that value, and we never talk about it. Right. So I mean, that's a very roundabout way of saying Chattanooga's people is is in some ways its greatest asset because we can do things as a community. You know, mm -hmm. I, this is kind of my backdoor realization. It's kind of been a, um, um, a kind of a, a shibboleth, sort of a something that people talk about here for the last 30, 40 years. Like, well, Chattanooga can get things done. You know, we've got this great history of bipartisanship, and, you know, we get bent and we have got a track record of getting things done. But I think that's why. Right. You know, you know if you go to a bigger city, a lot of times there's this air of uh, anonymity, and people are kind of just too busy, and they don't give a you know, and so, but that's not the case in Chattanooga, and I, I right. think that's why. Right. So I, I, the third thing would be just the people. So circling back to the, the outdoors, um, there has been, I mean, obviously we've been named uh, number one city by Outdoor Magazine, I think twice yep. now, and a couple other publications have picked up on that, and it's it's definitely something that Chattanooga is starting to capitalize on. Uh, but one, one thing that I, I hear a lot is that there are communities that feel like they don't have the same access. Yep. Historically, they have not taken advantage of, of the trails and the climbing and yeah. the river. Um, I know I was listening to an inter interview with, I think it was Monty Brule, actually, mm -hmm. and he was saying that, you know, growing up, he he doesn't even know if he saw the river until he was a teenager. Yeah. Um, so, so what plans do you have as mayor to improve access to those disadvantaged communities that maybe historically haven't? had that same kind of access. Yeah, it, it's a very strange thing. I will just say, you know, Monty's a friend, and it, when I was a kid, like there was no, I mean, the city generally wasn't paying attention to, to the river right. or, or our outdoor assets, but it was definitely more pronounced in, in low-income communities, and it still is the case, you know. So uh, I've got some pretty specific plans. I had Moise Baptiste on my podcast, and we were talking about this particularly, but, um, you know, Parks and Rec should be this connector 
to outdoor Chattanooga. And the connections exist now. It's just not a program that is functioning well um, to get kids to use the parks and rec centers as feeders and have outdoor Chattanooga more aggressively, you know, um, work with the, the, the heads of those parks and rec departments to, to get kids out on, on trails and uh, on paddle boards and out hiking and, and seeing those assets. Right. Transportation's a big, big issue there. But again, I think we can use CARTA. Money's got some great ideas about this too, but I think we can use CARTA more effectively and innovatively you mm-hmm. know, to accomplish a lot, a lot of that. Tran- there, are, there are a lot more equity issues tried up in transportation than you might suspect. Right, definitely. Yeah. And that maybe, maybe leads into your next answer for this next question, maybe not. Uh, but what is Chattanooga's biggest weakness and, and how can we fix it? Man, the biggest weakness, um, you know, when I, when I, that's maybe not weakness, but liability. One of the things that really got me thinking seriously about running for mayor was reading a book called The New Geography of Jobs by a guy named Enrico Moretti um, at Berkeley. And uh, the thesis of that is that there's kind of a Mendoza line, like a, a breaking point between smaller cities and bigger cities and bigger cities like Nashville and Atlanta are soaking up talent and capital mm-hmm. at this ever increasing pace because of the network effect, you know, that larger companies can employ. And, um, you know, post COVID, I think we have an opportunity to really fight back against that. But the, the macroeconomics of it are still very much against us. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're not careful, that's where I think Chattanooga is really on this kind of slippery uh, slope where if we're, we're not very careful, we could just become sort of a, a wasteland of $12 an hour jobs right. and a little Gatlinburg down by the river. It's not dystopian future compared to what Chattanooga can right. and should be, right? So I think, you know, air service has been a, tra- you know, a, a traditional weakness in terms of, uh, um, in terms of uh, uh, economic development handicap. The other huge one is our educational system. Mm-hmm. Um, it has woefully underperformed, but, you know, Chattanooga has never really had a high functioning public education system and it has to have one if we're going to compete, you know, economically, if we're going to turn out the sort of, you know, citizens that we need to have a healthy functioning city. As mayor, I mean, most of the the education system is under the jurisdiction of the county and the school board and all of that. And so I'm just curious, what plans do you have? that you can enact as mayor to improve our education system? So I because think it's, the, it's a huge question that it people is a have all question. the time. That's the number one reason yeah. people get involved in local politics. And to be fair to the current administration and prior administrations, I mean, it, it's a simple enough thing to, to, I mean, look, it's like you say, it's right there in black and white. I mean, the county handles education mm-hmm. funding. But at some point, I think the city has got to just kind of, very frankly, pound the table and use the mayor's office more as a bully pulpit to say, gotcha. this isn't good enough. Right. So I think it starts there just saying, you know, the city should reserve the right to go back in the school business if it absolutely right. has to, because the, it's just too important to the economic future of the city. It just it just is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the number one long term, most important thing, most crucial thing that we can do to, to turn around and and or you know, cement our fate for better, or for worse. Uh, so, you know, in general, I would start there. More specifically, though, I would say the city can do a lot more, not a lot more, because Andy Burke's done a good job here of, uh, of expanding early childhood education. Mm-hmm. So more seats for Head Start and more kind of wraparound services, particularly in low-income neighborhoods. Um, I tell this story a lot on the campaign trail, but 
Um, I went through business school late in life uh, after GM's bankruptcy, and uh, I, I, <laughs> they, I considered it my own little GI Bill and, and went down to Emory and, and got my MBA down there. And I had a professor who had an appointment in the medical school as a psychiatrist, but he also taught organizational management in the business school. And he gave this really, really compelling lecture about human development. Um, you know, I mean, this guy's not, not, a, not a hack. I mean, knows his stuff backwards and forwards. And his point was just that by the time a kid is six or seven years old, Brad's baked. I mean, that you could have heard a pin drop when he finished the lecture because the implications <laughs> were really, were really pretty, definitely pretty scary. I mean, it's like, well, then what are we doing? You know, for, with K through twelve, right? If all the actions in the early early childhood, um, and he made a really compelling case that it is, then then that's where all our focus should be, mm-hmm. right? So the city can do a lot about that, and that would really be my number. Every extra dime I can find in the sofa cushions and the budget for me would go towards early childhood education because I don't have future political ambitions. I don't care if it pays off in my term or my lifetime. Right. That is the one thing that will produce the most downstream benefit for Chattanooga, for right. sure. So that's a big one. Um, and then lastly, again, I think we can use CARTA. There's some really mm-hmm. innovative models with smaller buses and like um, Uber Pool. I mean, Dallas does this. Uh, they have a Dash program where they use smaller buses and they literally use Uber Pool and um, you know the, the, the you have a fair uh, bank, you know, um, or credits, and then you just use those, and smaller buses run sort of regional routes, and that could be used to get students from the, uh, you know, low-income students. The Future Ready Institute concept is a great concept, but low-income students can't get to the Future Ready Institute of their choice currently. So, you know, we would be looking to use CARTA to to fill that gap. Right. Uh, and help out with the school system. And lastly, I would just say, I think um, Brent Goldberg, who's working on the campaign now, was my CFO at Honda, at my Honda store, um, was the chief business officer at the school system. And he believes that there are many other ways that the city and the school system can work more closely together. Again, historically, it's been, well, that's not our business, right? It's the county. But it, we just, it's, that is a false abdication. It's the city schools are in the city and it's too important to the future of the city just, right. to, just to throw our hands up. So you mentioned uh, finding as much money in the budget as you can for early childhood, uh, which leads us into just the budget more broadly. Yeah. How, how do you think your budget would differ from what's been done under the Burke administration yeah. and not just during the allocation of funds, but would you make any changes to the community input process? Um, let me start by saying uh, the community input process has been great. That's something Andy started doing that was long overdue that hadn't been done. I mean, that I'm a big believer in listening, you know, and being sort of from a retail world, you listen to your customers. Right. In this case, the taxpayers are the customers. Uh, a lot of times filtering the signal and the noise can be difficult, but you got to listen, right? You got to just have that aperture and throw it wide open and actively solicit input, not just kind of say, you know, fill in your comment card. Mm-hmm. So if anything, I would expand that. And kudos to the Burke administration for for, for starting that because I think that I don't think anybody did it before. Right. Um, that part wholeheartedly agree with. Um, I think the budgeting for outcomes process, while uh, good, you know, done with the best of intentions, has been um, – has, has – resulted in a little bit too much bureaucratic hoop jumping um, and asking, you know, nonprofits who provide critical services to the city, 
Um, we don't, so the city doesn't have a rape crisis center, for example. The nonprofit that, that does that, you know, the partnership for children, families, and adults, um, has to come back every year and sort of say, please, please, mm -hmm. please, can we have the money to do this? Thing? I mean, we should have them on sort of three to five year budget cycles. We know they're there, right. you know, check in, send Give in regular financials. Stability. Yeah. We, I think we can streamline the budget process quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we would look at things through the lens, maybe not differently than what's done now, but we would look at budgeting for impact again. What, if you're paying city taxes, what are you getting right. for your taxes? And, and how is that felt by the, by the taxpayer? Mm -hmm. um, suburban taxpayers have different, have different priorities than urban taxpayers very right, clearly. Um, there might be some interesting cost accounting ways that we can look at that um, just to sort of understand budget impact and implication. Uh, again, I've got a ton of experience with budget management, so that is a strength I bring to the table. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think the short answer is we would um, we would truncate it. We would it, we would make it more compact and, right. and shorten up that budget cycle, okay. um, and and pursue it based on the strategic goals that align right. with our our campaign platform. Right. Moving on. Um, so for better or worse, most of the authority, again, we've talked about this with the schools, but most of the authority over COVID response yeah. has been given over to the county as well. The yep. county health department has pretty much complete control over the mask mandates, over business closures, all of that kind of thing. Um, hopefully by election time, we'll have a vaccine and this won't even be as big of an issue. Right. But there's going to be economic fallout from the pandemic, certainly. I mean, the business loans are starting to run out. Yep. Um eviction moratoriums are starting to end. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a big cliff coming up. And that's something that you as mayor would definitely have a little bit more control over. Yeah. So what is your plan to help Chattanooga recover from more of the economic and personal impacts of COVID? Well, you know, I'm deeply disappointed in Congress, I'll say, because I, I mean, we all know that um, <laughs> that we, we should have had a, a, another stimulus plan by now. It's just uh, immoral, very frankly, that they haven't been able to pull that off. And I'm, I wouldn't blame one side more than the other, very frankly, but it's, it's bad. It's bad, bad. You know, it's just listening to the news coming in here and, you know, they, they, they don't think that they'll get it done. Uh, even early January, they're doubtful that they can do it after mm -hmm. Biden's inauguration. Uh, and it's, the implications are really, really, you know, dire. So uh, all I'll say is, Hey, I've managed through you know, uh, a couple of severe recessions before, both the one in the early 90s and, of course, the last 2006, 2007, um, 2010 recession. And, uh, you know, it's no fun, but I know how to do it. Um, I would say our small business community, uh, particularly entertainment and, and restaurant community, are going to need a lot of help. Mm -hmm. um, there's no substitute for dollars, right? And and the, and, and federal, the, the, the scale of aid that's needed uh, will have to, the city just doesn't have that sort of money. Right. But the city can certainly help coordinate resources from the state and federal level, which, mm -hmm. God willing, you know, will we'll be around by then. I think the other thing we can do is, you know, I know a lot about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial training. One of my platforms is to use that um, to, to, to really tune up our local entrepreneurial ecosystem. Mm -hmm. In many cases, uh, these companies or these, these entrepreneurs will run out of cash and just have to close the doors. And, you know, who knows what will happen vis-a-vis -vis their landlords. Right. Very frankly, I have much more sympathy for the business operator than I do for the landlord. One of the weird uh, distortions of PPP was, 
you know, one of the things you got paid back was your rent. Well, you know, you got a landlord who just collects money from a mailbox, and I, I'm I'm on a couple right. of pleases. I'm a landlord, but I mean, the landlord arguably should be taking a little bit of a haircut too, right. right? I mean, they didn't, in theory, take any haircuts through this. It's a very bizarre kind of untold story about uh, the aid um, that. You know, again, God willing, the cavalry arrives. We don't really have to get too much deeper into that. But my focus would be on helping the entrepreneurs look at their business plans and reboot successfully. Right. You know, hooking, getting them connected to the, you know, the financial resources, the banks, getting the pro formas together and and getting restarted because it's, you know, too important to the to the ecosystem of our um, quality of life to just let those businesses fail. Do you think there'd be any changes in like regulations, easing up restrictions? Um, you know, I mean, outdoor dining is a big thing that's that's come up, and so you know, I'm, things I'm, like things like that. Just, I'm a very, you know, our big campaign thing is common sense for common right. purpose. You know, if you go back and look at the, the beginning of this pandemic, uh, before you know the really crazy months were June, July. There was a lot of I, I don't think it's too strong to say hysteria, mm-hmm. uh, but if you back up to the early days, it was masks, social distance. You know, outdoors and avoiding crowds. And we're right back where we started, right? I mean, that's what works. We know it works. You add the vaccine to that mix. uh, And, I mean, I personally would be all about, um, and there's some other cities that have done this, helping restaurants with loans or grants to expand outdoor dining, certainly make make the permitting process a breeze from the the city perspective Mm -hmm. so that they can expand outdoor dining because that's the no-brainer of all no-brainers. Uh, again, that's not going to be much help in January and February, depending on how fast the uh, vaccine rolls out. But uh, I can tell you with what, you know, I would address it with, you know, with uh, intention um, and urgency. I think that's the thing government generally has lacked and arguably we've lacked here, very frankly. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that uh, business people tend to bring to the party. Right. So moving on. There's been a lot of conversation both nationally and locally around policing. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of different suggestions out there of how to improve our law enforcement system. They're all over the place yeah. uh, from defunding the police to divestment and reinvestment to implementing new training and accountability systems. And all of these are kind of existing at odds with one another. You can't do all of them. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm wondering what is your administration going to do to make sure all Chattanoogans feel safe and and just make sure – Yeah, I mean, this is arguably, this and homelessness are really the toughest things I've dealt with on the campaign trail. Um, I've gotten to know Chief Roddy pretty well. I really like him. I think, I don't think many Chattanoogans realize how progressive the Chattanooga Police Department is, particularly vis-a-vis their counterparts of the county, who, again, um, yeah, I think you saw the the contrast as sharply as you'll ever see it during the riots around, uh, I mean, we didn't really have what you would call riots per se. Uh, but they yeah. conducted themselves well, and Chief Roddy really was sort of the glue that held the city together there for a little while. Uh, so I'm a fan, right? And um, I, I know there are voices in the community that disagree. I understand, right? And and uh, but I, in talking to all people, I mean, you, you gotta, as you say, the job of a mayor, the job of any executive is to make decisions, and they right. can't always be popular decisions. But I, I my role um, and my charge would be to work with with uh, with Roddy really to help affect a, a lot of the reforms that were already underway before any of this started right mm-hmm. I mean th- there are some really sensible things we can do to f- let them do what they are hired to do to let p- police be police 
um, and to peel out the pieces that are either irrelevant or where somebody's better suited to respond, like mental health situations, right? And you know, let social workers come in alongside them to help address those issues. Uh, I use the example a lot too of you know Memphis has got a, a third party private company that comes in and does crash traffic reporting. You know, if we move that over okay. and pay them, is that defunding the police? No, it's just rationalizing uh, function, very right. frankly. Taking um, a plate off. Yeah. Taking something off their plate so they can focus on, yep. you know, crime. And I also and think, things. you know, um, money will never, a lot of this gets into the sort of the boring weeds of finance, but, right. um, but those c- cameras, you know, if you've ever been to London, they're, they're everywhere and they, they really do help solve crimes. Um, We've got a fair number around Chattanooga, and they've been helping. If you talk to the police, they're they're fans of that. Uh, they're about fifteen grand a piece. You know, again, that's capital budget that can be amortized. I think that would be, I think that would be helpful because a lot of times, a lot of these crime issues in the neighborhoods are ones where you know they can't find a witness to testify or right. you know, things of that nature. Right. So you know, there are some creative ways that we can do this that aren't punitive. You mm-hmm. know, for the police force, who after all are out there ninety five, if not 99% of which are there for the right reasons, doing their best job every day, and the interests of, you know, the uh, the uh, communities that have traditionally been oppressed, who also have, you know, completely understandable logical beefs because of the historical injustice that they've endured, right? Mm-hmm. You can reconcile those things. You can do it. Uh, I think you just have to listen to both sides and find solutions that, that uh, you know, that, that, that meet both tests. Right. So moving on again a little bit, Chattanooga government still, it still has a reputation as, as a good old boys club Uh and, you know, more decisions being made in the country club than in the city council chambers. Exactly. And so I'm just wondering what your administration might do to make sure that all Chattanoogans feel represented and not just nominally, yeah. Uh, community input processes are great, but make sure that people actually feel like their voice is making a difference. Yeah. No, listen, I, t- I should say this, too. Despite the way that I look or some people's perception of me, I did not come from, like, old lookout mountain money. That ain't me. Um, I belong to a country club, you know, as for business entertainment because I was in the car business forever. But I think I played, you know, 10 rounds of golf in 10 years, <laughs> maybe. It's just there's no time for it. I'm not that guy, right? And I, I highly believe in transparency and accountability. Um, and I completely share that. I think a lot of the problems we've had with political disengagement mm-hmm. is the sense that people have they've just sort of given up, like why bother? Right. The single most effective thing I think we can do to address the problem that you're addressing um, is, is, you know, city council used to have, I can't remember what they called the person, but it was essentially like, um, Gosh, sort of a uh, budget analyst, mm-hmm. um, almost like a, gosh, the CBO does at the federal level, and that person would look at any bill uh, or any proposed legislation coming through city council and and and, and give a report mm-hmm. based on you know what's the budget impact, what's the fiscal impact, what's the um, you know, the, and and to the extent that they're reporting out to the council, they're reporting out to the public. Right. I mean, I'm a big believer that the truth will set you free, and we, the, I, I, very frankly, do not agree with the way city council is conducted now, where it's all the just kind of going through the motions, and clearly they've all decided what's going to happen before they come out there and bang the gavel. Right. The it's it may be political theater, but it's important, right, for the mayor to show up to those things occasionally, 
uh, you know, British Parliament's always kind of entertaining to watch, right? But, yes. <laughs> but they're having the conversation. Very much so. And, yeah. and I think that's a good it. thing, right? That's how we arrive at the right answer, the dialectic. You have the conversation, and you understand both sides of the argument, and you hopefully arrive at the right answer. Right. And even if it's, um, you know, I mean, it's not, not sunshine laws notwithstanding, you know, it's fine to have had conversations ahead of time about it, but it's important for the public to feel like that it is being done Right. That it is actually is done in mm-hmm. in the light of day in the open air. So that putting in that budget analyst p- position, I think, will help a lot because that that would help a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I, again, I would just say Chattanooga when it's run best um, back in probably the you know well, I don't know I don't, no point in debating the era, <laughs> but um, we had more of this kind of spirit of uh, living room conversation, right? The political leaders went on talk radio more often, they did interviews, they did, you know, it wasn't sort of, here's a press release. Right. And, and that, I'm the same guy, right? This right. has not been rehearsed. I mean, and, and so I think, I think we just need to make ourselves more available right. and talk about the issues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right, and, and again, that, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of disagreement about it, but that's how we arrive at the right answer. Right. One of the things that whoever wins this mayoral race, one of the things that I hope comes out of it is that for the first time in a while, uh, we will ha- be having this healthy dialogue about what the issues are and what we should do about them. And I think that should continue into, you know, the next into the next administration. Right. You mentioned, uh, you know, previous leaders joining in on talk radio shows and local news and things like yeah. that. I think part of what's changed is also just the media landscape has shifted. Yeah. I know. I don't know anybody who listens to radio anymore, yeah. personally. Like, my age group, none of us listen to radio. Yeah. And, I mean, that's part of the reason I started this podcast is is because that's where the people are. Yep. That's where people are trying to get their news. And I feel like uh, the administrations and, you know, different community leaders, some of them are starting to catch up, but it's still kind of that gray zone where people don't really know to, where to get this information out. Uh, oh, I think part of it, too, I think that's an excellent mm-hmm. point, right? I mean, there are certain people... There's an age, you know, uh, break where mm-hmm. older people probably listen to talk radio more often. Younger people listen to podcasts. We do both, you know. Right. Um, but that's a it's a it's an excellent a point. Um, and I can't remember where I was going with it. But do you do you think you would continue? I know you have common purpose as part of your campaign, uh, your podcast. Do you think you would continue anything like that? For sure, as mayor, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, the thing I like about talk radio is that it's more spontaneous. Um, not that these can't be mm-hmm. right. I mean, I would, I would do both, but I mean, I would, whatever it looked like. Um, well, let me say two things. One, I do think this is, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's not because, uh, I'm a better person. I think very frankly, it's because I don't have any f- future political ambitions, right? If you're worried about how something might look on a postcard or what if I run for governor right. or what if yeah. I'm running for, I'm not doing any <laughs> of that stuff. I'm not, I mean, I, I guess I can never say never, but I'm never going to act as though, I'm never. It's not in the cards I'm, right the fact now. of the matter is, I'm yeah. not doing it. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> my wife would kill me. I have no interest in doing it. I only care about Chattanooga. I really right. don't. I couldn't go to Nashville and pretend like I give a rat's ass about Nashville or Knoxville. I don't. Sorry, Nashville, Knoxville. I don't. Right. So I'm just not going to do it. So um, there, I said it. But, uh, <laughs> but but because of that, I think you can be more open in conversation about what's best for the city mm-hmm. and not and not be as particularly as as cautious. Uh, the um, yeah, so that's that. 
But so, yes, I would definitely continue. I mean, oh, the other thing I was going to say is that I think I do think the city could do a better job of of and Los Angeles does a really good job of this. If you're doing municipal research, of really good broad brush public communications, mm-hmm. right? Public communications about communicating a city's priorities and values right. is not a six paragraph email. Right. It's not. Right. <laughs> I mean, you get you, there are more effective ways to communicate that sort of thing, and I think we could do a better job mm-hmm. of that. And that would be part of it. Great. Next topic I want to cover is is development, land use, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a really broad topic, yeah. and it's it's going to be hard to dial it down because some people are worried about overdevelopment and that we're not placing enough restrictions on developers, that water quality control and traffic generation and yeah. that kind of thing are, are a big issue in some people's minds. And then other people are worried that there's not enough affordable housing and yeah. that there's not enough development downtown. I mean, personally, there's there's tons of empty lots downtown, and it drives me crazy every time totally. I drive by them. So people are all over the place on this issue, yeah. and it's it's not something you're going to be able to make everybody happy on. Right. Uh, but but what are you going to do in your administration to guide and hopefully improve development in the city? Uh, there's not an easy answer. I would say the, the, the most non-obvious thing that I would ask people to think about is, and I bet you most people haven't thought about this, you might not have thought about it, but it correlates in many, many ways to school quality. Mm-hmm. A lot of the problems we've got with developmental um, clustering, you know, where things are, are getting, you know, one neighborhood's getting hot, and people start complaining about gentrification and unaffordability. There are places around what people think are good schools, right? If, 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 we, can, if we can broadly raise the, the quality of the school system across the city and the county, that spreads out the development pressure, right? right? Um, so again, back to, back to education. Beyond that, um, yeah, look, I mean, there are, I've read a lot, a lot of analysis on, uh, on the local real estate market and the development, you know, sort of uh, ecosystem here. And uh, there, is a, there is a ton of opportunity relative to other markets. Chattanooga is still underbought, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, again, it is a uh, Goldilocks problem that this is the, this is where getting it exactly right with good management and good policy is super important. Um, and again, on the balance right now, most places we need, we need um, more development and thoughtful development. But at the same time, I think one of our big five platforms is neighborhood development. And one big deal is putting in things like neighborhood trusts, mm-hmm. supporting those concepts to buffer um, the kind of runaway train uh, development that leads to gentrification and forces people out. Right. Um, so increasing home ownership. Go into know. those trusts a little bit more because I'm not sure everybody might be familiar. with Well, those. if you Google it, it, there's some around the country that are that are doing well now. Essentially, think of it as a, a neighborhood association on steroids, where they might be able to get um, or they would get grants from either private or public foundations or from the city to um, to buy properties, right. you know, in the neighborhoods. Um, sit on them, and then the trustees would decide, hey, you know, we'll sell that to this person, but not to this out-of-town slumlord. Right. Gives neighborhoods right. a little bit more control over who Pre- they're selling to, how it gets developed. Precisely. That's Great. that's it in a nutshell. And I cut you off. I'm not no, sure no, that's it, really. Were. I mean, uh, that's it. And there's some good examples of where it's working well around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in community capital. I mean, we did that through... Um, 
you know, did we did we were one of the first, I guess, the first soccer team in the U.S. to do um, to do a crowdfunded equity raise through CFC, and crowdfunded equity uh, and community capital in general is is a it should have already gotten more traction because the whole idea was to sort of put Main Street on an equal footing with Wall Street, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, in the vernacular. But um, the ways in which uh, you know we can we can use local private and public foundations and the city and the county and maybe even pension funds to directly invest in the right sort of projects here to buffer and direct development uh, is a is a really great concept mm-hmm. right um, that you hear this in the philanthropic world referred to as impact investing a lot so there's there are a lot of strategies we can employ that we're not currently employing both to encourage the right sort of investment and to you know again make sure that uh, if a, if again the hell of it is if if everything happens that we want to happen and hey we get going and we've attracted all these new jobs and this new company's moving in and suddenly you know we're dealing with traffic and right so Nashville is a great yeah. example of that so it's part of why we left you have it's just to do exploded and they yeah, didn't know what to do you have to do both it's not an either or thing mm-hmm. I will say this Chattanooga's got believe it or not Chattanooga has one of the dead level worst longitudinal growth rates of any city within 500 miles a year relative to, we're actually, our five-year growth rate uh, in the last study that the Chamber of Commerce did was um, 10 basis points, that is one-tenth of a percent behind Knoxville's. And that surprises most people because they're like, Knoxville sucks, you know? I mean, Chattanooga's <laughs> got it going on. No. Chattanooga's still largely a poor town, you know, it's, and it's crushingly poor for a whole segment of population mm-hmm. in that River to Ridge neighborhood. Um, and so we need more economic growth. We mm-hmm. absolutely do. But at the same time, that does not mean that we just throw the doors open right. to all comers and just, you know, Give it let away. it run. And, and that's yeah. where I get back to. It's management. Right. That's what I would bring to the table. It's intentional and careful management right. of the civic inst- infrastructure. So a big part of this in my mind, and, and you just mentioned it with that last word, infrastructure, yeah. is and, – and we've already talked about transportation uh, in terms of CARTA and, and more – vehicular transportation, things like that. But a big part in my mind of neighborhood development and, you know, gentrification and all this is uh, non-automotive infrastructure. I'm just wondering where you stand on that because this is another one of those Goldilocks problems. There are people who absolutely cannot stand all of the bike lanes going up right now, and there are people who love them. And, and I'm just wondering where you stand and if we're going to see more of those or less of those as, as Well, this is going to sound like a cop-out. I'm a, I'm a car dealer. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm a car dealer on the one hand. I'm also – but I'm also a motorcycle dealer and I have scooter lines. And actually, we have Segway now, which is a really exciting uh, electric – I mean, I, I'll say this. We are on the cusp of, of the electric revolution that we've – that's been right. near – you know, and, and it's – some people have sort of looked at, ah, it's kind of a dud, it's kind of a false start. It's not. We're just really to the point where in terms of cost and reliability, it's becoming commercially viable. I mean, I've got a little Segway scooter now, it's 770 bucks. It'll go 40 miles on a charge. It'll go 25 miles an hour. I mean, all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, wow. Like I, I live in lot. Fort Wood. I could commute all through downtown and, you know, never get in the car. Never get in the car. Yep. And so I think we actually have an opportunity. I applaud, in theory, a lot of the stuff that the current administration has done, in theory, has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think the issue a lot of times has been execution. Mm-hmm. And the bike lanes, in theory, are great. I've got a lot of, I mean, I bike and, uh, you know, from my house all the time. They could be more cohesive. They could be more um, coordinated. Right. Uh, and again, a lot of times I think, 
They've been just dismissive of traditional vehicular traffic, and there's no reason for that. Uh, you look at, for example, Bailey Avenue and Macaulay Avenue. Bailey is largely residential. Mm-hmm. Um, Macaulay is largely commercial. They run mm-hmm. parallel to each other. No reason on earth one shouldn't be largely dedicated to alternate vehicle traffic, right. and one shouldn't be, uh, not completely, but largely dedicated to uh, vehicular traffic, right? right? So uh, there are best practices around the country we can follow in this regard. This is not a wheel that we have to reinvent. Mm-hmm. I do think this is a really good opportunity on the cusp of this, right. of, it, of it really taking off to take a deep breath, um, not completely start over, but, you know, um, start over mm-hmm. and, and reimagine how it works better uh, for everybody, for both, you know, alternate vehicles and for automobiles. Right. I could go on forever on this development and infrastructure is my personal, you know, that's the thing I spend most of my time reading about. How about wastewater? (laughs) I'm doing an episode on wastewater eventually. So it's going to get, you should, but let me just say this, like one of the, one of the, the biggest no brainers, which has been kicked around like a political football right now. And people avoid it. Like it's, toxic or nuclear, and I don't know why, is, you know, we have one stormwater sewer system right now Mm -hmm. that's connected, and yet, from an administrative perspective, you've got a county system and a city system. If they were combined, they could bond a lot cheaper, they could borrow money a lot cheaper, we'd save a lot of money on administrative overhead. There's no reason, no practical reason on earth, Mm -hmm. you know, absent working out details that that shouldn't happen. But that's one of those things that I would, you know, really try to push. that uh, that would really be in the long-term best interests of, of Chattanooga. Great. Yeah. So I have one last question. Yep. And this is super open-ended, but what do you think is the most achievable change that your administration can make in Chattanooga? In other words, what is an idea that regardless of any political pressures or anything else that might be bearing down upon your administration, what is something you have 100% confidence you can and will implement? Synchronizing traffic lights. <laughs> I get, you know, I get this. I, I, a lot of times think I'm, I'm getting punked. Uh, I, I've spent some time out in Wyoming. I've got a, my, I'm not a beach person, so if I go out of town and kick back, it's Lander, Wyoming, usually. And Lander, you know, really simple. I mean, there are other cities where there's a big sign up that says, you know, traffic lights are set for 25 miles per hour, yeah. which is five miles per hour below the speed limit. What a concept. Right. You're not speeding. You, go 25, you don't have to tap the brakes. Green lights the whole It's way. more ecological. Yeah. I mean, why not for crying out loud? Traffic engineering here drives me bananas, and there's just no reason for it. So right. I mean, so that's a that's an easy one, you know. On on the weekends when there's no traffic downtown, um, you know, blinking yellow and blinking red does not make you Mayberry. It's okay, <laughs> right? Uh, so there's some really commonsensical things we can do around that. There's some really easy things we can do to to allow locals to park uh, more easily and cheaply downtown. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the problems we've got is that the parking market has been um, distorted by not well, yeah, it has been distorted. But the, the the tourist market who are willing to come in and pay, I mean, you basically pay the same thing to park in downtown Chattanooga that you pay in downtown Nashville, right? And that's kind of crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's based on the tourist market. So what it's meant is that chat, locals have avoided downtown. Right. Our the our license plates are all in the system already right. um, through the you know the city sticker that we have so that database is there. Park Mobile, if you've used that app, uses the license plate. So look, I, I think there are ways that we can. I would be looking maybe not day one, but month one uh, to make it so that locals get to park downtown 
at least an hour free. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just cost, it's friction, but making it easier for local people to park right. downtown and patronize local businesses downtown. That's another easy one. Great. Well, that's all I have. I want to thank you for joining me here. Thank you, man. I'm glad for letting us use this um, studio. This is great. um, Listen, you're more than welcome. Like I said, when I heard your, you know, intro for the concept of the, of the podcast, it like my hair lit a fire and I (laughs) I was like, God, somebody else gets it. So I'm just so glad you're doing it. And I, I just share your passion to wake people up to the idea that local matters more. It's not just that it also matters. It matters more. If we could get people focused on local politics, then worry about Nashville, then worry about D.C., we'd all be a lot saner and happier. Right. Thank you, man. Thank you. If you want to learn more about the Kelly campaign, you can visit his website, kellyforcha.com, or listen to his podcast, Common Purpose. You can find links to these resources in the show notes. This has been Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with your friends. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com or follow me on Facebook or Twitter at chatcivics. If you're feeling especially generous, you can donate to support this podcast using the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.